Well, it's great to be here with you this morning, uh, whether you're here on our Canandaigua campus, online campus, or Hopewell campus, welcome Hopewell campus uh, with us. Uh, we are in our fall kickoff. Uh, some of you uh, were able to be a part of yesterday. Uh, we had a 5K, a family run, we had food trucks, we had uh, music, live music. It was a great uh, morning into the afternoon here on our campus. Uh, I uh, participated in the 5K. I, I spectated. That's what I did. I cheered. I, I, was, a, I was a cheerer. I, I didn't run, but I, I, I felt like I was a part of it. But, uh, but maybe next year. I found out that there was only one guy in the stroller division, and so he got the gold. And if I had just pushed a stroller, I could have gotten a silver medal. And so I'm already making plans next year to see if maybe I won't join that division. And who knows, maybe I'll even put a grandchild in the stroller. It'd be a lot easier without anybody. But we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens. I don't know if they have rules on that or not. Uh, but we're, we're kicking off our fall series today. Uh, we're calling it Kingdom Living Volume 1. And uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to be exploring the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to cover most of the book in the fall series. And in the winter, we're going to finish up the series with a real creative title. It's Kingdom Living Volume 2. And so much like the first, but a little different. And, and, and so I'm excited about this journey through the Sermon on the Mount. And what our, what our task is, if you will, this morning is really to, to look at what exactly is the Sermon on the Mount and how do we receive it? What is the Sermon on the Mount and how do we prepare ourselves uh, to receive the message that lies therein? Now, the Sermon on the Mount is a message of Jesus. It's recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. It's probably one of the best-known teachings of Christ. In fact, as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, many of you will be familiar with the teachings that Christ shares in the Sermon uh, and John Stott explains this he's, it's about the sermon. He says, it's the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered. For it, in it, he's, his, his own description of what he wanted his followers to be and do. So there's this Christian manifesto of what his, what his followers are to be and do. Several months ago, uh, I picked up a book that had a bunch of methods in it about how to have a healthier life. And I was reading these methods, and there was a ton of them. I was taking notes like crazy because there were so many methods within this book. After I read the book, I found out there was an authoritative summary of the book. And so I bought the summary, which was really helpful because really it just took better notes than me. It had all the methods broken down within its various lists and bullet points and all that type of stuff. And some of you may think, I bet you wish you had come across the summary book before you read the other whole book. And the reality is, no, I don't, because it was the whole book that really gave context to the summary book. And what's that have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount gives us this amazing snapshot of Christianity. But it, it, it's a snapshot. It's through reading the whole of Scripture that we gain the context of what Jesus is sharing with us. And, and so throughout the series, we're going to be looking at other texts from Scripture and bringing it in bearing in on the teaching of Christ. And, and of course, any other book you read, it's an option whether you should follow it or not. But the Bible itself, I mean, it's a choice, but the right choice would be to say it's the book of life and, and to dig into it and to let it speak into who you are and what you're becoming in Jesus. And so, in, in a sense, this is a summary. At least it's a snapshot of Christian culture. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. And the Christian culture that Jesus teaches about it is drastically different than the one offered by society. I want to give an idea of what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount by going back to what God did with God the Father with the chosen people when they're out of Egypt. 
So he delivers them from Egypt, and he's speaking through his servant Moses. It's recorded for us in Leviticus 18, 1 through 4. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You do not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do what they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord, your God. And so God brings his, his chosen people out of Egypt, and he proceeds to describe what he wants Israel to be and what he wants Israel to do. And what Christ does in the Sermon on the Mount really defines what a Christian walk looks like. What does it mean to be in relationship with Jesus? What does it mean to be someone who's saved uh, in this life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ? How do they walk? And so let's look a bit at the context. Sermon on the Mount, again, it's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters five through seven. It's, it's shared at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. A couple of important things have happened up to this point. Jesus has been baptized, and so he's baptized by John. And Jesus has actually been tempted in the wilderness. That's already occurred. And he's begun his itinerant ministry of telling people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and turn to the Lord. And so it's at the beginning of all these things that Jesus shares his sermon. In this context, the sermon describes really repentance and the change of mind and righteousness that belongs to the kingdom. And therefore, the change of mind and the righteousness of God that comes upon a believer. Does the sermon describes really what life looks like when we recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord? And again, it's one of the most complete descriptions of a genuine Christian culture anywhere in Scripture. And so how does Matthew record the beginning of this message? Well, look at Matthew 5, 1 and 2 with me. Seeing the crowds, he, speaking of Jesus, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Now, believe it or not, that's as far as we're going to go into the Sermon of the Mount this week. Because before we jump into the actual teachings of Christ, I want us to again look at the context. What is the Sermon on the Mount, and how are we to receive it? The preparation of our souls is so important. But picture the setting with me. A large crowd is following Jesus, and Matthew records he did what? He went up on the mountain. That mountain is Karn Hattin, and Karn Hattin is right near Capernaum, and it, it overlooks the uh, Sea of Galilee. Uh, several years ago, I had the privilege of actually being on this spot. Uh, actually, uh, there's a chapel there uh, where the Sermon on the Mount was, was spoken, and it's a beautiful chapel, and I went inside, started reading the Sermon on the Mount. It was a beautiful day like it is outside right now. And so I went outside, and they had benches all over the place. And so I sat on a bench, finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, just reading it, realizing that's where Christ was. We don't know exactly where he sat, but we know it was there. And just on that spot, looking out on the Sea of God, it was so beautiful, so impactful. And, 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 and this is where Jesus is. It's called a mountain, but, but the, the definition of a mountain in, in the Holy Land is a little different than ours. It's really a big hill, is what we would really call it. It's a big hill. But some scholars have really compared what Jesus is, is on this mountain, Karn Hattin, to what happens at Mount Sinai when the people of, of, of his chosen people, Israel, comes out of, of Egypt. But God takes them to this mountain, and what does he do? He speaks the law to them. 
He, he speaks what's going to be his chosen people's culture to them. And Jesus is doing the same thing. He's bringing them to this mountain, and he's, he's sitting there, and he's, he's speaking to them. In fact, interesting, Matthew is writing to a pro- predominantly Jewish audience. Each of the gospel written to a different audience. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, and he writes something that we could just totally overlook, and that is the fact that Jesus sat down. Now, I don't know about you, but just reading over it, I'm thinking, well, maybe he was tired. Maybe it's going to be a long message, which it is, and maybe he just decides he's going to sit and preach it. But any Jewish listener, when they first received this letter, knew exactly what was happening. Sitting down was the posture of a rabbi. It's the posture of a teacher. And and he's sitting, and he's actually inviting those around him to come and sit at his feet. It says he calls his disciples. And, And scholars go back and forth. Is it the whole group? Is it a small group? And the reality of it is he could have been just calling in like the, the inner core of his disciples and everyone else is listening in. They're like creeping in on the conversation, right? But either way, he's speaking to his followers. He's speaking to his followers. And that's important that we understand. The audience are those who are, who are following after Christ. And we read that Jesus opened his mouth and he taught them. So that gives us a little bit of context But I think just as important as context is a key question. If Jesus is asking us to sit at his feet and learn, how do we do that? How how do we sit at Jesus' feet and learn rightly? First of all, I believe we've got to listen for the instruction of Christ. We need to listen for the instruction of Christ. To listen to Jesus is to hear Jesus. It's to yield to Jesus. It's, It's to follow Jesus. After all, a definition of, of a disciple of Jesus is one who is following Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the very mission of Jesus. And so here he is, he's calling us in to, to, to give ear to what he's saying. In fact, many times in the Gospels, Jesus uses a phrase. He doesn't use it here, but he uses it a lot of places in the Gospel. He says, you who have ears, listen. Anyone think that's sort of a weird phrase? That you have ears, Listen. Ears are pretty common in humanity. In fact, if you don't have ears, it's an uncommon thing. We, we have ears. In fact, we have two of them. You know, people say you have two ears, one mouth. You know, get the picture. Listen more when you talk. And, and he says, those who have ears to hear, listen. And, and it's really an emphasis. He, he, he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to share with you these words, and I want you to pay attention to them. For me, it brings my mind back to to my dad. My dad's in heaven now, and so I can say whatever I want, and he can't, he can't do anything to me. But, but, but I remember growing up, right? And, and he would be talking to me, and oh, I can't believe I'm even saying this in front of y'all. But, but you all have been there. And, and, and dad would talk to me, and, and I don't know if my eyes were glazed over. I don't know what was happening. Any parents out there? Anyone has ever been a child? And, and he would say something like this. He'd say, are you listening to me? Or he'd say, did you hear me? And have you ever been there? Okay, don't, don't, don't raise your hand, okay? Especially if you're a teen in here, don't raise your hand. But have you ever had your parents say that and your first thought is, oh my goodness, what did they say? You know? And Jesus is interesting. He says it many times before he shares something. He wants to give us a head start. He's basically saying, you should better listen to me. Take heed to what I'm saying. And so listening is really an active thing. So how do we then listen to Jesus? Well, to rightly listen to the instruction of Christ, we must be willing and prepared to listen and receive. It's more than just hearing the words. 
One time Jesus shared a parable who, of a sower who went into the field. He, he's sowing seed. And in that parable, there's, there's four soils. And, and, this, and the parable isn't as much about the sower who's sowing the seeds, although interesting enough, he sows them everywhere, which I do think is an example of us. We're to share the love of, of Christ everywhere. We're to share the love of the message of Christ everywhere. We're not to choose who. We just simply obey. And, and we cast the seed. But the four soils are the real point of his parable. And the parable illustrates with these four soils how people react to the very word of God. We'll call the four soils path soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, and good soil. Now, the, the parable speaks that the seed that fell on the path soil are eaten by birds. That, that the picture is this path soil is so pressed down because people are walking on it. That, that when the word of God is cast on this soil, real quick, the birds come down and take it. In other words, it doesn't even take any type of root. It doesn't go into the soil. And it's speaking of someone with a really hard heart who may be hearing the words but not really receiving them at all. And the person who represents the rocky ground, we find that in the rocky ground, it, it grows fast. In other words, the, the seed is planted. It grows fast, but it's scorched when the sun comes up because the roots are, not too, are, are too shallow. And the seed that falls on the rocky soil represents someone who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy. But however, when they, they have no root, they have no foundation, and, and, it's, and it reads in Matthew 13, 21, when the trouble or persecution arises on account of this word, the person immediately falls away. So they hear it, they receive it with joy, and then they go into life and they realize, lo and behold, there's trouble out there for people who know Jesus and people who don't. You found that to be true? I mean, there's difficulties in life. And because the word of God hasn't been rooted in them, at least deep roots in them, they turn their back on it. They go, well, if this is what it is, I don't want anything to do with it. The seed that falls on the thorny soil, we're told that the thorns come up and choke it out. And this soil represents those who hear God's word, but when the world's concerns end up choking it out, much like the rocky soil. They came in with concerns, they heard the gospel, responded to it, and then they're going out and they realize, wow, those concerns are still there. And if this is the way it's going to be, then I want nothing to do with it because they don't understand. None of those three soils understand. But the difference is two things, our eternity and the presence of God in our present. There's the game changer, that we don't go through life alone. God is with us. And the second thing is, is that he's preparing a place for us that's gonna take us home someday. That's paradise. We long for paradise, don't we? When we cry out for justice, you know why? Because we know there's something better than what's around us. And it's coming, it's just not here yet. And our goal is to try to bring a piece of heaven everywhere we go. Think about that. To bring his peace into the chaos, to bring his love into these situations, to bear his truth into these situations. The only one of the four soils where this actually, where the seed comes and actually takes deep roots and, and helps the individual not just flourish but reproduce is the good soil, the good soil. The one who hears the word, who hears the word and understands it it then bears fruit. In fact, there's a bumper crop, if you read it. There's amazing fruit coming out of their life, which is a perfect example when the scripture says, to those whom is given, much, much more will be given. And so there's this growth that happens in a person's life. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. 
The good news is that God has given us the ability to choose how we're going to respond to his instruction. He's given us that ability to choose. We can choose whether we're going to be the path soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, or the good soil. We're able to choose the kind of soil that we're going to allow our soul to be when we're listening to the word. I don't know when I started this practice. It could go all the way back to when I was in high school. I don't know if I heard a, a message on, on, uh, on this parable. I'm not really sure. But, but at some point early on in my, in my sort of a, coming into adult faith, I started every time I would go to a, a weekend worship service, I would say, God, help me prepare, pre- help prepare the soil of my heart. Help prepare the soil of my heart. I want to come with an attitude to learn. I don't just want to hear words. I want to be able to allow them to be applied to my life. I I want to come and worship you. You realize we worship an audience of one, right, church? Come on now. That's a whole other message series if if you don't get it. God is the one we're worshiping. In fact, I love this story from Francis Chan. Francis Chan's a pastor, and he says one day he came across a churchgoer, and the churchgoer said to Francis Chan, "I I didn't like worship today. To which Francis Chan said, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. I don't care who you are. That's good preaching right there. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. And you know what? We've all been there. We've all been there. I've been there. I mean, I have come. My heart wasn't prepared right. Can we just be honest? And all of a sudden, I'm not getting anything out of this. Well, Craig, you're not putting anything into it. Now, by the way, it's even embarrassing when you're up here preaching, but that's the way you came into service. But it's happened. And so it reminds me all the more to take that time in the morning and say, God, prepare my soul. I want to do that every day when I approach God's word. Prepare my soul. Help me be ready to to really receive what you have for me. The second thing I would share, to, to listen rightly to the instruction of Christ, we must listen with an understanding of his purpose. His purpose for giving us his word, his purpose for coming, an understanding of who he is. Jesus prays this high priestly prayer. It's recorded for us in John 17. And in the midst of this prayer, but he's not just praying over his disciples who were there in the upper room, but he's literally praying for, praying for believers who would exist in all times. That means he was praying for us. Jesus was praying for us. And this is what he prays, part of his prayer, John 17, verses 6 through 8. I have manifested your name to the people whom you, have, you gave to me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. But God the Father has sent the Son. It's talking about the the Godhead here. And a, a large part of the work of Christ on earth was really to point to the Father. Over and over again, he points to the Father. In fact, the work of the Holy Spirit today is to point to Jesus. And and so there's this interaction that's happening with the Godhead. And the success of this process is implied by the fact that these individuals who God the Father had gifted to Jesus were growing, and they were understanding the things of God. They weren't perfect, but they were sure and growing. And Jesus declared that they had kept his word. They had kept the very word of God. Now, by the way, this isn't a reference primarily to obedience of of individual commands or teachings. It's a readiness, the way it's written. It's a readiness to receive what Jesus has for them, his message, his mission. And insofar as they were able, 
The disciples had advanced to this understanding of knowing that Jesus had come and that Jesus was God and that he was gonna die for their sins and be resurrected for their salvation. They had totally known at this point, but they were very shortly gonna understand it and lay hold of it. And they had this, they're gonna reach this point of development where it was even safe for Jesus to leave them and gift them with the Spirit. In their future work, in ours, since Jesus isn't just praying for them, but he's praying for each and every one of us, he's praying what? That, that we would represent Christ well. I don't know about you, but that's a sobering reality for me as a, as a believer. But my call is to represent Christ well. Sometimes that keeps me accountable. How about you? Have you ever been in a situation I realize my call is to, is to represent Christ well so I better not say what I'm thinking? Matter of fact, God changed my thinking. It keeps me accountable to repent too because there's also been times where I haven't represented him well and realized it. And I've come to Christ and said, forgive me. Make my heart more like yours. But there's this beautiful picture of what's happening when the word of God rests on good soil and we're able to be a fulfillment of this prayer where we understand the purpose of Christ was to come and glorify the Father by dying for our sins, being resurrected for our salvation, and pointing the way to God through him. He's the one and only way. And the basics of Jesus' teaching are profound, yet simple enough for a child to understand. Jesus taught that he was a fulfillment of Messianic prophecy as a promised one, as Savior and Lord. Here it is in a nutshell. Here it is in a nutshell. Jesus came to die in our stead for our salvation and taught us how to be saved by placing our faith in him. Remember, a disciple of Jesus is what? Someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Lastly, I, I want to share this last third thing. If we're going to list, listen rightly to the instruction of Christ, we need to be determined to obey. Determined to obey. So if we approach God's word as a believer, if you're seeking, it's a different thing, but if you're searching God's word as a believer, we, we search it saying, God, help me obey what I'm about to read. Jesus, at one occasion, enters into the temple, and the chief priests and the elders call him out. Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God. He's been healing people. And the chief elders and chief priests and elders, they say to Jesus, they say, by what authority are you teaching? We haven't given you a certificate, they're sort of saying. You know, who's the third? And by the way, where do you get off healing people? Can you imagine this? Like, they're asking that. Like, who are you to give someone their eyesight back? Who are you to have that person who couldn't hear? Now they can hear. Well, who are you to do that? And what I love about Jesus, over and over again, we read the Gospels. Do you notice he doesn't give an, a direct answer? He either tells a story a lot of times or asks questions of them. I, I love it. I love it. I had to really annoy them. And I, I love that. So Jesus answers them by sharing a parable. Makes sense, right? Matthew 21, 28 through 31, he says, what do you think? Talking to the chief priest and the elders. What do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. He went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I'll go, sir. But he didn't go. Which, he asked this question, which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. And Jesus said to them, catch this. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Can you picture it? 
I mean, think about it. It wasn't an unnatural thing in their culture especially, but it wouldn't be today for a father to ask his sons to do something. What was very unnatural and unacceptable and actually would have offended the Jewish uh, moral sensibilities would have been the fact that the older son said, I'm not going. And God, that's a punishable offense back then, by the way, legally punishable offense back then. But what's even more a, a problem is the son who lies, who gives us word. Yeah, dad, I'll go, but didn't show up at all. And Jesus says, and the crowd said, no, the one who actually repented and did the right thing, that's the preferable action. So what has Jesus given us a glimpse into? The kingdom of God, isn't he? He's saying, listen here, you, you, you chief priests and, and elders, who, by the way, looked down at tax collectors who made their money by ripping people off and, and prostitutes who made their money while doing things that the Bible says we shouldn't do. Are we there? Are we okay? All right, we'll move on. Uh, they looked at them as, as subhuman. They really did. They didn't even see them as human beings. And, and so what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you know what? They said they weren't going to do the Lord's work, but they, they, were, they finally came to know God. They're saved. And guess what? They're going to enter the kingdom of God. Think about it. It's not what we've done. It's accepting what Jesus has done that makes all the difference. Amen, church? He's saying, these people you look down on, they're getting in the kingdom. By the way, those of you who know the word, you chief priests, you elders who know the word, you professional religionists, you, you know the word, but don't do it. You're not even getting in. And if you do, it's behind them. Come on now. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. I don't care who you are. That's good stuff. And Jesus has given us this amazing understanding that, that it's, it's not enough to know God's word. It's not even enough to go to church. But by the way, thank you for being here. It's not enough simply to go. Genuine believers follow Christ by living in obedience to the Lord. Now, let me clarify this. Our following may not be perfect. In fact, our following is very seldom perfect. But our intent can be as we become more and more like Christ. So the culture in righteousness say, that Christ describes in his Sermon on the Mount is an inner righteousness demonstrated outwardly, invisibly, in words and deeds. And such a life can only be found when we're in relationship with Jesus Christ, filled and empowered by his spirit to live the Christian culture that he lays out in the Sermon on the Mount. I like how Oswald Chambers explains. He, he writes this. If Jesus is a teacher only, then all he can do is tantalize us by erecting a standard we cannot even come anywhere near. But if, he being, but if we being born again from above, we know him first as Savior, we know that he did not come to teach only. He came to make us what he teaches we should be. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is having his way with us. I love that last phrase. When the Holy Spirit is having his way with us. That's the key. We hear about the Sermon on the Mount. We're ready to enter into this journey. What are we to do? We're to listen to Christ's instruction. We listen to his instruction by being willing and prepared. Willing and prepared to listen and receive. He's given us the ability to choose how we will receive his word, whether our soul will, will be good soil, ready to soak up what he has for us. And my prayer is, as we venture into this study, that every week, every day, we'll say, Lord, help my soul be ready to, to soak up what you have for me. It's listening rightly. It's by having an understanding of his purpose. Jesus came to die in our stead, to offer us salvation, to give us life. 
And when we understand that, then we approach his word as, as disciples who what? are those who follow him, are being changed by him, and committed to his mission. And then lastly, we're determined to obey. Back to the method book several months ago I read in its summary. It's a great book. It has a lot of good stuff in it that could change our life physically and in other, mentally in other ways. I mean, great methods in it. And it's no good whatsoever if we don't do any of them. How many agree with that? Ever gone to a doctor and the doctor said you should do this? You went, oh, it sounds really good. And you went and didn't do any of it. Anyone ever? No, none of you have done that. But you know what I'm talking about. And listen, these are just books. There's books. These are opinion. I get. But the word of God is his word. It's the word of life. It's not an opinion book. It's not simply a method book. It guides us into what it means to know God to be loved by God, to be filled with his love so we can love others and share the good news with the world around us. It's meant to be obeyed. I'll say it again. It's not enough to know God's word and go to church. Genuine believers follow God by living in obedience to the Lord. Our following may not be perfect, but we're being perfected as we become more and more like Jesus. And so what is the Lord really saying to us in this fall series? He's saying, come to me and sit at my feet and learn. Learn of my love for you. Learn of the culture that I want my church so desperately to be. Learn what a difference you can make in a world that so, so much needs to know there's a God who loves them. And that there is real truth that can change not only their destiny, but their today if they'll trust in Jesus. If they'll trust in Jesus. So I want to take a moment just to pray for us. A prayer of commitment, asking the Lord to help our souls be, be good souls, good soil, to receive what God has for us in this journey, to help us become more and more that culture which he spells out within the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, it all starts there. Don't head out without saying yes to Jesus. He, he loves you so much that he didn't just speak it, he showed it. He died on the cross for your sins, resurrected for your salvation. It's not about what you have done or what you even can do. It's about what Jesus has done and the faith we can place in him that changes everything. So whether you're here on campus, whether you're online, whether you're at the Hopewell campus, if this is where you're at, take that next step. Receive Christ as Lord and Savior as I pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the blessing of knowing you, for the amazing gift of your word. I'm so looking forward to uh, digging into the Sermon on the Mount, this amazing snapshot of Christian culture, this amazing um, picture of what it means to be so deeply loved by you and given the ability to make a difference in the world around us. Lord, I pray for those maybe even here this morning or in the shout of my voice who's listening, who has yet to make a decision to follow you as Lord and Savior, but even now in the quietness of their heart, that they would take that step. That they would let us as our new church family to, to know how to help them take their next step and their next step. Oh God, what a journey. What a journey we say yes to when we say yes to you. And so God, I pray that um, anyone who makes that decision will let us know so we can help them grow in you. And Lord, for those of us who are here right now and will be going out, whether we're at home watching, wherever we find ourselves, may we remember that you cause us to gather like we have at this moment 
We gather to put your glory on display so that when we scatter, we go in the knowledge that you go before us and that we can share your love and message in this region all around us who desperately needs to know you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us to be part of your kingdom. Thank you for what you're going to do in this series and in through us, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.